Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be in the first 10 verses tonight. We have, uh, you know, as I shared with you at the very beginning, Paul, probably the first book, I believe this is the first book Paul wrote, some don't, but I think it is. And uh, he wrote to the churches of Asia Minor in the area of the province of Galatia, Turkey. They had recently come to faith in false teachers who we call Judaizers. And they're, they're found in a lot of places in the New Testament. The Judaizers had come and they had added to salvation by grace through faith, um, through Jesus Christ. They had added the Jewish legal system and circumcision especially, but really all of it. And so they were expecting the Gentiles to become Jews. Christ wasn't enough. It wasn't sufficient. And so Paul fought this. He fought this a lot. They were also attacking Paul's credibility as an apostle. So we have, we have seen that already in the first chapter. And Paul deal with that. In the second chapter, he's really going to deal uh, in the first part with his, come with his credibility and his gospel. And then in the back half next week, some heavy theology we're going to see, which is really cool. And to do that, uh, you know, one of the things I've shared with you is, you know, there's a lot of kind of debate about when Paul wrote it and exactly to which group in, you know, Asia Minor he wrote it to. None of it impacts the meaning of the passages. I mean, the, the book of Galatians is an impact. But we're going to see passages today that influence that. And I'll, I'll share some things with you, uh, you know, about how I think they should be understood in terms of dating. It really doesn't matter that much, but it's interesting. But let me just start off by saying this. It is the responsibility of pastors and other leaders who serve the church to always protect the integrity of the message of the church of Jesus Christ, of the gospel. One of the single most important things I do is to protect the integrity of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I don't have to defend it. It's defended. But what I mean is this. Part of my responsibility is to make sure that which is false does not come into the presence of our congregation of our sphere of influence and let false teaching come at all and it's my responsibility not to dictate what i think theology should be it's not that it's to protect us from others who would dictate the wrong things uh and i take that very seriously and i have on many occasions in my career helped people find some other place to be not because of the way they live their life but because of what they teach about jesus and they won't change it uh about a year ago I had a guy who had been coming for a while, and uh, he came and wanted to visit with me. I thought it was interesting that he told me I was ignorant. I think a lot of people felt that way in life. It's okay. That's not the worst thing I've been called. Uh, but he, you know, he had a view of the scriptures that, that he thought should be taught, and that basically what I taught was wrong. And, and I said, as gently as I could, I just said, you are incorrect. And the balance of scripture shows that. And if you were going to press this issue, you need to find someplace else to go. And he did. He left, which was the best thing. It was because what he wanted taught or thought should be taught would damage the integrity of the gospel message. And it wasn't about whether I love him or I care for him. I don't. But it wasn't about that. I do love him. I'm kidding. I love him. I preached that whole thing on love. That was just a joke. Don't, don't just take that out of it. Well, he called me ignorant. You've got to understand that, too. It was that, that what he thought was wrong, and it, it was a major thing that would damage the integrity of the message. So that's what we're dealing with here. 
the damaging the integrity of the gospel message. Listen, there are a lot of things, it doesn't matter if we agree. You know, we, we, don't, all, we don't agree on all our understanding of the end times. I don't care. As long as you believe Jesus is coming, we're good. I, I don't care all your theology of that. It doesn't matter. We're not going to fight on that. I don't care if you believe in seven literal days of creation or seven periods of time. As long as you believe God created everything in seven movements, we're good. You may care. I don't care. So that's not the sort of stuff we talk about. But the integrity of the gospel always matters. And the integrity of scripture always matters. So he says in verse 1, chapter 2, After an interval of about 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along also. 14 years. Some think it's 14 years since his conversion. Some think it's 14 years since the last time he had been. I tend to think it's his conversion. 14 years after he became a follower, he went up to Jerusalem. How it all worked, it doesn't matter. He put Barnabas and Titus. Now, here's what's interesting in verse 2. It was because of a revelation that I went up. So here's something... There was a revelation. There was a revealing of a mystery to him. And he went up. Now, this is interesting about when he went. And so I'll share with you the day. I'll do it briefly. In uh, the book of Acts, five times there's mention of Paul going to Jerusalem. But three of them pertain to this. One in chapter 9, which we probably corresponds to the first time that Paul went uh, in, in Galatians. In chapter 1, when he talks about going uh, to Jerusalem, that corresponds with chapter 9. Then he went in chapter 11. Uh, to take with Barnabas a, a relief, a disaster relief for the, for the church in Jerusalem, bring some money to help offset star, uh, uh, famine. And then in 15, the beginning of 15, he went uh, for the Council of Jerusalem, which I'm going to deal with pretty extensively uh, for a few moments at the end of our time today. And so there's a lot of debate about which one of those. Uh, it, but the truth is, it doesn't have to be either one of those. And so I find it amazing that we, we insist in my world, that the pastors and I, we insist that it has to be one of those two times. Like, there weren't any other times you went. Here's an interesting thing you may not know about the book of Acts and about all the scripture. It doesn't tell us everything that ever happened. Luke writes Acts to tell us about the movement of the church and big critical things. He didn't tell us everything. There's a lot of stuff in He can't tell us. He didn't tell us what happened day to day. You realize that in the New Testament, there are a lot of people who were instrumental in people coming to Christ and in the church that never mentioned. We don't know who they are. I mean, we got no idea. There's a few mentioned, in, you know, in Acts uh, 13, when, you know, y'all getting ready to send everybody off. The Paul and Barnabas go on that missionary journey, and, and they mention a few people in Antioch, Antioch Center, they mention about, you know, a handful of guys. Oh, they, these are some interesting guys. The only thing about them, there were other people. There were trips made here and there. We don't know where all Peter went. We don't know where all Paul went. There's a lot of speculation that between the time of his release from the imprisonment mentioned in Acts until he started writing Titus and First and Second Timothy, he may have made it to Spain. Some think he made it to England. Doesn't matter. A lot of things happen. So it's possible Paul went some other time. Here's the thing. We know in chapter 11, the reason he went was because of famine relief. In chapter 15 of Acts, the reason he went was because the church at Antioch sent him and Barnabas to Jerusalem to solve this problem. And I'll talk about more in a minute. Here it just says he had a revelation, or there was a revelation. It may not have been his. It may not have even been one of those two cases. He went up. Here's why he went. And I submitted to them the gospel which I preach currently among the Gentiles. But I did so, notice this, in private... To those who were of reputation, for I fear I may have been running or had run in vain. Rain means empty. So he had a private meeting. Chapter 15 of Acts, the meeting is public. That's why I don't believe this corresponds to that. 
And he went because he had the gospel. Now, Paul's been doing this. I mean, he's been around 14 years. He, he may or may not have done his, uh, the missionary journey we see over there, his first one in Acts 13 and 14. He may have done that. may not have done that. Uh, and if he had done it, then the 14 years probably meant from 14 years from the first time he went to Jerusalem, not the time he was converted. Not that it matters. But he went because he, he had the gospel. And the word submit means I wanted to show it to him. Here's why. Paul, was, we'll see, he was reaching Gentiles. It was a new world. Now, other Gentiles had been reached. Gentiles in Jerusalem had been reached, and Judea had been reached. Antioch had Gentiles. And Paul is going off into the Gentile world. He's going off to the pagans and the heathens. It's a whole other thing. And, and he knew that he was, Paul, Paul knew he was an instigator. Paul understood that when Paul went, he shook things up. And Paul knew, he'd already experienced it. Things were going to get chaotic and crazy wherever he went. He wanted everybody to be on the same page of what his gospel was about. He wasn't asking permission, but he didn't want to have been doing this in vain. And that means simply this, he didn't want to be sharing the gospel and have the church at Jerusalem, which was still the mother church, the head kind of church, in some sort of opposition so there was tension which would cause problems. So he said, I went up there, up elevation. See, us in America, we go up north. We go down south. The rest of the world, they go up in elevation, down into the valley. But Americans, we don't do that stuff. We reject the metric system. We go up north, down south. The rest of the world just needs to keep up. Not even Titus was with me, though he was a Greek or Gentile and was compelled to be circumcised. So Titus went, he was not under compulsion to be circumcised. Now, some think that means he wasn't compelled to be circumcised, but did it anyways, but that kind of flies in the, the, the face of the whole argument. So he had a Greek guy with him, Titus. Later on, he takes Timothy. Timothy's half Greek, half Jewish. He gets circumcised but because of, he did that because he was Jewish, partly. And so Paul didn't want unnecessary problems. There are necessary problems, and there are unnecessary problems. He didn't want any problems. He didn't want, really want any unnecessary problems. So Titus was there. Now notice verse 4. This is so important. But it was because of the false brothers secretly brought in who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty that we have in Christ Jesus in order for the purpose that to bring us into bondage or slavery. Now that is a, that is a thick verse. Let's break it down. The reason I had to do this it's because already, in wherever I had ministered and planted churches, and especially if he had already gone to Southern Asia Minor, there were false brethren. They are called uh, pseudo false, 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 fake brothers. Now, make this clear. If you are a false brother or sister in Christ, you are not a brother or sister in Christ. You are lost. Churches are full of people, not here today, who are lost, who think everything's okay. They are pseudo. They're false. And we know, he knows they're false. Notice the language he uses. Because they snuck in to spy us out. You know, all throughout the world, except in America, there are, uh, now it happens in America, but the other day, there are people, the churches who are being persecuted, the government sends folks in to spy and find out who they are. 
Now, this is why I don't think it was in the 15th chapter, uh, uh, that this corresponds to 15th chapter of Acts, because it says that people came from the church in Jerusalem up to Antioch or down to Antioch to argue. It was public. It wasn't spying. These, these were people infiltrating, spying out who they were. I read the other day, I, I forget where it was, some, there's some states where churches aren't allowed to worship or something. And uh, some government, county government officials were sending people out to the churches to see who spy out who was there. They do that, Troy, shoot them. <laughs> then they'll know. Dad coming. The heck's wrong with people? He was spying out. I was kidding, by the way. Some of you may take that seriously. So. They had gone to spy or espionage our freedom. The freedom we have in Christ. We have been free in Christ. And they were spying out that freedom. Why? Because he wanted to put us back in bondage or slavery. You realize, what are we talking about? What does Paul write all the time? You are slaves to your sin. You're in bondage to your sin. We are slave to those to those fleshly lust that we have we're in slavery jesus said i came to be set free you shall know the truth truth sets you free we're free paul writes that we're free in christ and they were trying the the Judaizers were making people slaves again they were putting them in, in in bondage back to the jewish law that's the danger that's why they were false brothers he said i love this we did not yield in subjection to them for an hour. So the truth of the gospel remained. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't hesitate not for one minute. Called them out. That's what Paul's saying. Confronted them. That's what you do with false teaching. You don't mess with it. I had a guy went on one Wednesday night. I was teaching on, I don't know what I was teaching on. He was here, I know that. And he, and he came to me and he said, in Genesis, the reason sin entered the world was to cause the snake had a physical, intimate relationship with Eve and Adam. And I was stunned, and I looked at him and said, that's just wrong. That may be the single dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's so, I, said, I said, it's wrong in the Hebrew it's wrong in the English. It's wrong in every language you ever printed. There's not a single church father that thought that. I said, I don't know where you heard that. But that's just wrong. And then he meant to explain it. I said, no, there's no explanation. It's just dumb. He hadn't been back. He and that other guy are starting a church together. He said the truth of the gospel would remain with you. That word remain is to abide, to dwell with you, to take hold of you. When the truth takes hold of you, false teaching. So I'm, I'm at a point in life, I'm pretty sure I'm not susceptible to any type of false teaching. It's not because I'm smart. It's not because I have two earned degrees from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the greatest seminary in the world. Found out this week, Michael... Randall has been accepted to Southwestern Seminary. I was so excited. I just gave him a $12,000 scholarship. So we're going to be losing some money, hon. So you have to work a little longer. It's the only seminary worth going to, really. It's not because of that. 
It's because the truth has taken root in me. It's firm. It grasps me. It controls me. Now, there are a lot of things I might believe that are wrong, but the truth of the gospel is not one of them. He said, but those who are of high reputation, I love how he words this about, he's going to talk about Cephas, which is Peter, and, and John, and James, the brother of Jesus, because James, James, the brother of John, had passed away. There was another James, James the Less. Could you imagine going through your life being James, your pop James the Less? It's James, the brother of John, one of the big three, and there's James the Less. And then, you know, when, when the brother John passed, he was killed by, cruelly killed by Herod. Uh, and that was a sad thing, but James the Less probably at least thought, well, I'm not going to be the Less, I'll just be James. And then James, the brother of Jesus, gets saved. And, and he's head of the church in Jerusalem. He's just back to James the Less again. So these guys who have higher reputation, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. I, love that. I don't care. So their high reputation, I get it, and it's important. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. Uh, they contributed nothing to me. He's, he's just saying, look, these guys, these are the head honchos of the church, but they didn't, they didn't save me and they didn't teach me, okay? But I wanted my gospel to match up to theirs. So I know of their high reputation. Paul, Paul is just like, yeah, they're high reputation. I don't care. But on the, on the contrary, here's the thing. Seeing that I had, notice what he said. They saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel. I had been given as a sacred trust. It comes from the word faith, believe. I had been given the committed to me, the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentile, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. Now notice what Paul is saying. I have the gospel to go to the uncircumcised. Peter and those guys can handle the circumcised. I got the uncircumcised. So why in the world is this group of guys trying to make the uncircumcised circumcised? God, God said, you go to the Gentiles. And he didn't say, go to the Gentiles, give them the gospel, make them Jewish. So you go to the Gentiles, give them the gospel. So I did that. For he who effect, and this is parenthetical, he said, oh, by the way, he who effectively worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectively worked for me also to the Gentiles. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm saying as Peter as an apostle. That word work is a word for energy. It speaks forth of effort of a, and of a powerful energy. And recognize, this is what happens, the grace that had been given to me. James and Cephas and John, they recognized not that I had earned it, not that I had deserved it. They recognized not that I was Paul the brilliant. They recognized the grace of God in my life. And they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They gave it. The right hand of fellowship means, means this. It doesn't mean that they had to approve it officially. It means they said, you know what, we're all in this together. You got, your gospel is absolutely right. So you go to the Gentiles. We're going to stay here with the Jews. Peter had gone to the Gentiles. Son. They weren't saying they wouldn't go. It wasn't, when, when Paul went to the Gentiles, understand this, it meant he went to the Gentile lands. It didn't mean he didn't ever go to Jews. He obviously converted Jews. 
In fact, you read the book of Acts, everywhere he went to the church, he went to the synagogue. When he went off, you know, to Philippi, couldn't even find the synagogue, had some ladies down by the river. Shall we gather at the river? They gathered, they went. Thessalonica went to the synagogue. And Berea went to the synagogue. He went to the synagogue. When he went to the Gentile, he went to the Gentile lands. The area dominated by Gentiles. And he shared with them the gospel. There's one little caveat. One little extra. They only ask us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do, which is what he did in Acts chapter 11. In fact, if you, one of the crazy things, not crazy, but fascinating things, is throughout the book of Acts and throughout the epistles, especially in 2 Corinthians, Paul is collecting this huge offering over a multi-year period from the Gentile churches to take back to the church at Jerusalem. That's why in the last 25% of Acts, he goes back to Jerusalem and ends up being put in prison. He's taking the offering back. He says, so here's what they asked me to do. Take care of the poor. It's part of ministry, especially those among the brothers, sisters. Now, I want to talk a little bit and, and relate this back to Acts 15 because it's so important. I said before, I said it last, last spring before everything broke apart and the COVID thing about how important Acts 15 is. The events, in fact, Acts 15 pivoted the life of the church. It changed, it dramatically changed the church. Now, here's what you need to understand. Had, had these guys not said, said his gospel's okay, had they said you needed to add circumcision to it, I, I read guys saying it would have, you know, it would have killed Christianity, it would have never gone, you know, Gentiles would have never believed. Well, the Gentiles would have never believed, but Paul wouldn't have gone along with it. Paul would have said, I'm leaving you guys behind. I'm taking the true gospel and I'm going, and he would have never done that. Now, here's what you need to understand. When this is written, about 49, 50, right in there, 48, about 20 years later in, 60, in 70 AD, the Jerusalem's destroyed, the temple's destroyed, and Judaism's wiped out. When Paul begins his missionary journeys, especially the second one, Christianity begins to become more and more Gentile and less and less Jewish because the Jews, the official Jewish stance was to reject all of that stuff. And so that began to take hold and they began to threaten and they began to persecute uh, within uh, the, the Jewish communities. That's why you, you see so much of that in Peter and you see so much of that in the book of Hebrews. When the Jews were wiped out, Christianity became almost entirely Christian. I mean, Gentile. So Paul would have, Paul's view would have won out regardless. But this was important for the unity and because it establishes a principle that is foundational to us today. In Acts 15, this book was probably already written. He went, on the, he, he went to the churches of Galatia in Acts 13 and 14, came back. Um, the, the, there's, um, there's all these guys going back to Asia Minor, probably followed right behind him, right behind him, right behind him. Why did he left one area? They'd come in and turn him into, try to turn him to Jews. You know, all that stuff. And so he got back. He, man, he, as soon as he got back to Antioch, probably he headed down, to, you know, he got to fix this, headed down to Jerusalem, talked to those guys. Okay, and he wrote Galatians, said, this is what, they agree with me. Cut that stuff out. There's no, you can't make you Gentile believers. You don't have to make you Jewish. He was at Antioch. Antioch was kind of the official headquarters of the missionary church. Acts 15 says, guys came from Judah, from Jerusalem, to Antioch, not Galatia, Antioch. And publicly began to argue with Paul. 
And the church said, Paul, you and Barnabas go down and you guys straighten it out with the church at Jerusalem because we need to know, is this what they're teaching? Is this what James is teaching that church at Jerusalem? Paul had it on down. And Paul and Peter and James and John got together and they had a little council of the elders and the leaders. Paul spoke, Peter spoke. Making their, and Peter was right there with Paul. Making, he, he talked about his experience with Cornelius and all that. When it was over, James, who's kind of the pastor there, got up and spoke, and everybody was quiet. They listened to James. It must have been nice. Acts 15, 19. Therefore, it is my judgment, it's James, brother Jesus, that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. That's what he said. Don't make it hard for the Gentiles to come to Christ. Just think about that. Here's this pivotal moment. You got all these Jewish believers and Christianity still prominently Jewish, and Paul sticks and go off, and he's going to go you know, conquer Europe with the gospel and you know, all that stuff. And everybody's, what's going to happen? These Gentiles are going to take over, and it's, we got to make them Jewish. We got to come to do it our way. They got to be circumcised, ceremonial laws, and all that. And James said, "Listen, listen. There's a whole lot more of them than us. You realize there's a whole lot more of lost people than there are saved people." whole lot more of them than us. If you want them to become us, take the gospel in its purest form. Do that. Always. No false gospels. No pseudo gospels. But don't make it hard for people to come to Christ. And one of the biggest problems for the church in America over the last 50 years, and it's true today, is we make it hard for people to come to Jesus. Because we keep adding or taking away from the purity of the gospel. We do. How many times that, have we told someone, well, you know, we would love for you to come, but you're going to have to X, Y, or Z. You might have to give this up. You might have to do this. Why we tell them that? Why do we make it hard? Why don't we do this? Why don't we take them in the midst of their mess and get them to Jesus and, let, and share with them the gospel? He died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. On the third day, God raised him back to life according to the scriptures. They saw him. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That's what you need to do. Why don't we do that and then when that, let Jesus straighten all that out? And let's don't make it hard for people come to Christ it's hard enough for them it's hard enough to give up the belief that you're self-sufficient it's hard enough to surrender it's hard enough to confess that you spent your life wrong that's, that's why we work so hard with those children to teach them truth so you know still 80% of all people who come to Christ do it under the age of 18 because when you become adult it gets hard it's hard so why are you making it harder simple. It's not easy. It's just simple. And that's what's at stake here. These doggone Judaizers, they were going in and making it hard. Who wants to come to Christ if it's hard? Who wants to, who wants to have to obey a bunch of silly rules in order to get saved? 
Who wants to have to change the way they dress, the way they live in order to get saved? Lost people don't. Who wants to, who wants to believe you have to be dipped in water in order to be saved? No, all that comes after. And do people need to change their life? Yeah. They need to stop sinning? Yeah. In fact, this is what James says in verse 19. I mean, verse 20 of chapter 15 of Acts. But we write to them that they should abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication, from what is strangled and from blood. Normally people think, you hear all the time, well, that was kind of James' concession. You need to make some concession to the Jews to make them feel at ease. Why? You can't, on the one hand, say, don't make it hard for them to be saved, but on the other hand, say, but there's a few concessions you've got to give. No. This all pertains, what he wrote in verse 20 of chapter 15, to idol worship. They come from pagans. He's what he says. Quit eating things contaminated by idols because idols aren't real God. Get out of that pagan religion. Don't commit fornication, which was the pagan way of life. And, and the sacrifices would be from things that were strangled and cooking their blood. It was things that were grotesque. and that, It wasn't because it was anti-Jewish. It was because it was pro-pagan. When they come to Christ then they need, after that, help them leave their pagan life behind. So don't make it hard for them to be saved. But once they are saved, begin the process of helping them be discipled in Jesus, which means they've got to leave their pagan life behind. Don't go up there and say, okay, I want you to come to Christ. Before you come to Christ, understand this. You're going to have to quit eating meat. To offer titles, and you've got to stop fornicating before you come to Christ, and you've got to all that. get them to Christ when Christ, through the Holy Spirit, has washed away their sin, and the Holy Spirit has regenerated them and justified them and saved them. Then they're going to want to know what do we do next, and because the Holy Spirit lives in their heart and in their life, they will be open to the dictates and the teachings. Of the Holy Spirit by what Jesus has said. And if they aren't open to that, they probably weren't saved. So Paul tells his church protect the integrity of the message of the gospel of Jesus. And get those lying, no good Judaizers out of your church. That's what he's saying. And he's saying, this comes from me, comes from Peter, comes from James, comes from John. What more do you want? There it is. Questions you may have. Any at all? Well, that makes me happy. I will see you again later. Maybe out there.